quite the situation going on here. <laughs> My house is even more chaotic. Yeah, remember when we were joking about cat getting extra cats? Uh, <laughs> um, Literally the Tuesday after we joked about that, I had to pull the work cats out of the storm drain. <laughs> yes. Did you have all four of them in your place yes, at had, one point? I had nine cats in my house oh at one my point, God. but it was good because they were they were quarantined and these two babies are still quarantined my friend took the other two i got bit in the process <laughs> yeah i heard about that i mean they are little feral babies yeah they are They're did little... it hurt too much or um i think it was more surprising because like were you worried about rabies she grabbed on good no because they would have been showing signs oh that's true they would have been yeah. like frothing at the mouth yeah I mean, they act feral, or they act like they have rabies, but they don't. <laughs> They're <laughs> just one, a little spicy. That one was a little, a little spicy mama. So, yeah. Well, Buffy does but seem yeah. to be doing pretty good. Now we have, hi, we have Loki and we have Bucky. Cool? We're not going to have them the whole episode because there's no way. <laughs> there's none. Loki, like. I'm going to try to. Yeah, put, hold the blanket up so that it's on. We're going to, Loki likes to be by your heart. And then Bucky's just in my lap hanging out. <laughs> but yeah, we'll put pictures. Oh, did Thor move? Bucky's like, what the fuck? Sweetie. <laughs> so I'm keeping the little black cat, Loki. The little feisty one. He needed not want to settle with me. I know. He'll, he'll get there. He just... Bucky's going to my sister. Oh. Bucky has like half a tail, which is really cute. But it looks like it's scarred over enough that it was done a while ago. We don't know how, but he's missing his tail. They're little baby mm. kittens. They're like just a couple weeks, yeah. I think they're about twelve. Um, these two are the smallest ones, so that's what butters was. Oh my god. <laughs> we were gonna pull them um a while ago, but I didn't want to pull them until the last minute because it's better to pull them at twelve weeks instead of eight weeks. So, so they're still they with learn. their mom and yeah they're still with yeah. the mom they learn things that they need to learn um oh you like pets <laughs> but yeah we we yeah. were we were gonna wait till the end of june but it was weird like there was one week where like everyone and their mother suddenly heard about the cats and they've been there since you know the beginning of april end of yeah march oh bucky sees jasmine moving jasmine's like this is stupid i'm leaving <laughs> what if i just decide to keep him uh you may not <laughs> he can be your cat here if you want i'm kind of bummed because i really thought that one was going to be female and i would have had a black cat a boy and a there's girl there's just if i had a bigger place it would be so much easier because i do want a third yeah but it's i only have a one-bedroom apartment and my one cat ali is a monster she's not a monster <laughs> she's just very she's very territorial when i first That's got fair. butters um, they were able to have their own space in the beginning and they had to because she tried to eat him. You can put a kitten in that bathroom so that she gets used to. <laughs> I could. It's not worth it. I just, I really want like one extra room because I know with another cat in the mix, she'll get mad at Butters too. So oh, I, I yeah. would really need 
them all to have their own space. That's what, um, so Finnan is like in love with them and obsessed with them and freed mm-hmm. them this morning. It was great. Um, but Izzy is definitely a little more reserved about them. But so. Can you lean further back so that he can like actually, or like put them up further? Sure, but they're not going to be able to hear me. Well, talk loud, bitch. <laughs> He's scared now. Sorry. It's because oh. I'm talking loud. But this is good for you. But anyway, this is not a podcast about introducing cats to the area. We're hearing Jasmine dig in the litter box. <laughs> what are we, Rachel? We are a podcast about badass women from history known as Difficult Damsels. Difficult Damsels. Oh, Difficult Damsels. Yes. I'm Kat. I'm Rachel. And then we have Loki and Bucky. <laughs> and yeah. Bucky's watching Jasmine. They're very, very spicy. But you know what? This is actually really good. I wasn't sure he'd let me hold him. Yeah. I told they just need a minute. And they're much better out here than they are in the room. I'll pet your nose like a a mama when they do it. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sorry. You're going to get a lot of baby voice, Rachel, because... That's fine. (laughs) I love baby kids. We will only have them in our laps for the first couple. Like 10 minutes or so. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so I've been really just because I don't want to edit that much when we have kittens trying to run. <laughs> yeah, I um, I've been really excited to do this next set of episodes. Yes! Is this like the woman you wanted to do the podcast about, or like for because well, of? We, I don't know. I okay. So the woman I wanted to do the podcast about that inspired the podcast is Agrippina. Oh hell yeah! Okay. Because her story is just so insane. Yeah, but as far as why I became interested in queens specifically and just women of power from history, it is because of Elizabeth. That's fair. Elizabeth. Oh, by the way, we're doing, this is a <laughs> episode. We're 40. on 40. Yeah, we're on 40. This is going to be Elizabeth the first of England, part Hello. one. Oh, hi, baby. She is a good, a good, um, what's the word? Inspiration. I don't know. For for women queen <laughs> women queens. women queens jesus what is a queen she, i don't know it's a woman who rules <laughs> she's she's a very unique figure as we're gonna learn because almost every woman we have talked about has ruled because of some kind of man in her life or even with mary tudor she had to get herself a husband mm-hmm. elizabeth is incredibly unique she never ruled with a husband she never ruled with a son Hell yeah. Um, as we're going to find out, like she didn't rule alongside a father because her father was a piece of shit. Her father was <laughs> thankfully dead. I never wish death on anyone except Henry VIII. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to get, we're going to get some Henry VIII in this episode. I do. Oh, one, one thing before I get into it. Um, so this was completely unplanned, but a few weeks ago, Kat oh, sends yeah. me a trailer for, for what did you send me a trailer for? It is called Becoming Elizabeth. And what's it about? It is about Elizabeth becoming Elizabeth. Yes. <laughs> so it's the same creators, right? Who did White Queen, White Princess, Spanish Princess? Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know that it was based on the same books, but it is definitely in the same style, the and, same vein. Yeah. yeah. And it's about Elizabeth, and I was like, I didn't plan this. It's I, so I had no perfect. idea. <laughs> I t- I asked her because it started last week, and I was like, Hey. Should I wait to watch the first episode? She goes, no, 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 listen to it because you're going to need the names. And I was like, yeah. I, li- I listened to it. I watched it. And yeah. And I was like, 
Yeah, I'm still going to need you to explain the names. <laughs> oh, I'm still going to explain the names, but I think it'll be interesting to hear a little bit knowing who I some of the players it. are. And then you're going to... This is going to spoil you probably for the whole season because this is going to cover... This is episode one is Becoming Elizabeth. She's licking you. Or he's licking you. I keep thinking it's a she because... What's on there? They remind me of... Um, Easy Infinite? Yeah. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> Are you Sorry. sleepy times? <laughs> and this is why we will only have them in our lap for the first intro. we're getting distracted. Yeah. <laughs> look, they're kittens. They're cute. Are you cute? Oh, look at you. He's like, yeah, look at me. I'm cute. He's so adorable. <laughs> He's like, oh, God, what are you doing? Oh, God. <laughs> um, so Elizabeth is also going to kind of conclude our War of the Religions series. Oh, yeah. Um, everything kind of culminates in this period. Um, All the insanity happens. Everything in we've period. been talking about, this is going to be the other interesting thing. Um, we basically have an entire episode of Mary Queen of Scots devoted to Elizabeth because she was imprisoned in England for... Yeah, she was a big integral part of it. Yeah, but you're going to find out Mary's just a footnote in Elizabeth's oh, yeah. history because she... A lot of people are a footnote in Elizabeth's yes. history, which yeah. is why she is so amazing. Yeah. Um, so guys, this is going to be like an eight-parter. Don't even worry about it. <laughs> I'm, I'm aiming for three or four. We'll see. That's cute. <laughs> so the, the thing, I'm, I also got a book, um, and it's by Alison Weir, who if you know anything about um, historical fiction and just writers who cover this period of history. Allison Weir is a, big one. is a big one, especially for Tudor history and um, War of the Roses, English history, just in general, the women of this period. About it. <laughs> I'd love to write a book about it. <laughs> um, would you uh, read, would you as read I was mentioning, the, the White Queen and the White Princess, those books, are, I believe, are written by Allison Weir. Oh, cool. So if, if I recall correctly, I'll double check that. But okay. yeah, so she she's done a lot of research. I wasn't a fan. Okay. Yeah. I tried to read The I, White Queen and I just yeah. couldn't do I the struggle, writing. I struggle reading history. Like, I just feel like I'm I'm okay school. with the history books, but yeah. yeah. Well, I just feel like I'm back in school and I'm just like, I don't care. But I do. But I just yeah. don't care while It's because I'm, I'm not the one reading it. Yeah, you're not reading it to me. <laughs> but yeah, so. One of these episodes where just have Rachel reading to me. <laughs> So Elizabeth I is one of the most celebrated European monarchs of all time and one of the longest reigning monarchs in English history. When she came to the throne of England, it was to the sounds of cheers of Londoners in the streets. They had every reason to cheer her, for she was following on the heels of a tyrant, her half-sister Mary Tudor. Upon inheriting the throne, Elizabeth had an almost impossible uphill battle. England was bankrupted after funding Mary's Spanish husband's wars. It had suffered a huge blow to patriotic morale after losing the city of Calais in France, the last bastion of English expansionism on the European mainland. If you open Mary Tudor up, all you're going to find is... Is Calais on her yeah. heart? Yeah. Because yep. yeah. <laughs> she was like, I lost this. Yeah. And it had suffered from decades of religious suppression under the reigns of its three previous monarchs. And now it was up to a 25-year-old woman to tread a very delicate line of diplomacy and moderation to keep the country from being torn apart by a religious civil war, the same way France had and would continue to do for the next couple of decades. By the end of her reign, 
Elizabeth would usher in a new era of cultural revolution and discovery that would take its name after her. But it would not be easy, and Elizabeth would face internal and external forces that would do anything they could to rip her off her throne. This is the story of Gloriana. This is the story of Good Queen Bess. Hell yeah. So I have a question, and I had this question last episode, but I forgot to ask it because I got distracted. Hello. Um, <laughs> so didn't Philip have to sign something that said that Spain would not go to the aid of and England would not go to the aid of like while they were married and he would never be king or he would so, never take the throne after she died? Yes, he wouldn't take the throne after she died, which he didn't. Um, he does try to influence things, but we're going to find out. Of course. What man at this time doesn't? <laughs> um, the whole idea was that England wouldn't fund these wars, but you have to remember England doesn't need much of an excuse to go to war with France. This is true. <laughs> this is true. So in the end, Mary decided to help. I just think it's support. funny that they signed, they made him sign something. And yeah. she's like, just kidding. It's fine. I'll help I you. mean, a lot of English. <laughs> here's the thing about men in war is. If you haven't been to war, you get an itching for this glory because you don't know what war entails. Well, yeah, and you don't know how to gain glory in your misogynistic society other than going to war and winning yeah. things and killing people. So a lot of a and lot of women, the, the people <laughs> coming up in this time period, if they hadn't been in a war previously, it's like, oh, yeah, of course, I'll, I'll support you. And as um, I didn't write any notes about this, but Robert Dudley, who is Elizabeth's... Um, great love of her life yeah uh he was actually friends with philip ii because he had gone over and helped to fight for a little bit and he he comes back almost as kind of like a war hero okay um we're not gonna talk she falls in love with the war hero okay well she falls in love with the bad boy which we'll talk about later that's fair me too there are reasons (laughs) (laughs) but yeah so um just so what you're saying is i'm gonna love deadly Probably. Okay. Maybe. <laughs> we'll <fair>. see. <laughs> um, have quite a bit of historical context for this period because, again, she lives for like Look close at how to excited. 70 years. <laughs> Look at how excited Bucky is for your historical context. Go. Hi. He's like, I'm here. Hi, bud. <laughs> You're only going to have to hear this for the first episode. So, okay. 1534, Jacques Cartier, I think it's Cartier, claims Jacques. Canada for France. 1536, Buenos Aires is founded by Pedro de Mendoza in modern-day Argentina. 1547, Henry VIII dies in England. Francis I of France dies two months later. And Henry II and Catherine de Medici ascend to the French throne. Prince Ivan the Terrible is also crowned as the first Russian czar of Russia. Ivan the Terrible? That's all happening in one year. Doesn't Ivan the Terrible have... uh... Isn't he a... Is that the Ruse Viking I'm thinking of or no? Um, there was another Ivan, but this no, is not him. This is not him, okay. Yeah. <laughs> this is Ivan the Terrible. <laughs> but he is the one that um, unites Russia into uh, the early stages of Russia. Anytime you, know, you see today. Russia, I just think, oh, motherland! <laughs> motherland! <laughs> In 1553, Mary Tudor becomes the first queen regnant of England. In 1560, Elizabeth Bathory is born in Hungary. Uh Jean the Queen also, the same year, declares Calvinism as the official religion of Navarre. Calvinism is like a, an offshoot of Protestantism? Yes. Ish? Yeah. 
in a very it's one in of, a very broad way of saying it's it's another protestant sect and it's the rise of protestantism in the area of france and spain um go listen to the jean the queen episodes jean the queen. <laughs> in 1566 solomon the magnificent ruler of the ottoman empire dies during the battle of i did not practice this sigvar that's probably wrong duh <laughs> where right there Oh, yeah, no, I ain't even Anyways, he dies. <laughs> he dies. <laughs> In 1570, Pope Pius V joins the Holy League, which consisted of Spanish and Italian powers, joining forces against the Ottoman Empire. Don't let the name fool you. He's a terrible dude. Yes, they all are, <laughs> especially in this time period. Uh-huh. <laughs> in 1572, Spanish conquistadors apprehend Tupac Amaru, the last Inca leader, and execute him. Uh-oh. This same year, Catherine de' Medici initiates the St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre in France. Oh, so it's a good time. Yeah. Aren't you proud of me that I didn't cheer for Henry VIII's death? I really wanted to. And then I kind of giggled at Francis the France. <laughs> you and then you said he died, and it. I was like, damn it. <laughs> From 1577 to 1580, Sir Francis Drake circumvents the world uh, by ship. By <laughs> <My> boat. <laughs> In 1587, Mary, Queen of Scots, is executed by Elizabeth I of England. Sorry. In 1589, Catherine de' Medici dies. In 1597, William Shakespeare publishes Romeo and Juliet. Ooh. Is that Billy? I don't know. I just wanted to call him Billy. It just sounded right at the time. I'll go now. <laughs> in 1598, the province of Santa Fe de Nuevo, Mexico, is established in the Americas by Spain. It will go on to become the U.S. state of New Mexico. And in 1603, Elizabeth I dies and is succeeded by James VI of Scotland, uniting the two crowns. Who is Mary's son. Who is Mary, Queen of Scots. Also, son. spoiler alert. What? Is it spoiler alert? Oh, yeah. I mean, if you haven't listened How to the Mary Queen you. of Scots episodes, what are you even doing with your life? Right. Those episodes are so good. They are good. Every time I've listened to them like once or twice, and I'm like, these are good episodes. These are pretty great. <laughs> right. So Elizabeth Tudor was born on September 7th, 1533, which means. Oh, no. What is she? Virgo? She's a Virgo. <laughs> I don't know why I had a question mark. Like, I wasn't I totally you. aware. I know. <laughs> so I, I pulled her natal chart. Of course. So her sun sign is Virgo. Her moon sign is in Capricorn. Her rising is Scorpio. Did you just snarl at Capricorn? Because it looked like you snarled No, I freaking Capricorn. love Capricorns. Oh, okay. <laughs> I love them. She has the rising I've always wanted, which is Scorpio. If I was born like 10 minutes later, I would have been a Scorpio rising. Really? Do you know how mad I am at my mom for not like keeping me in for like 10 more minutes? (laughs) Wow, Rachel. Scorpios are just like dark and sexy. You could have hung out for 10 minutes, okay? (laughs) Her Mercury is Virgo. Same, um, Same Mercury as mine. Hell yeah. Her Venus is Virgo. Oh, God. She loves, that's how she shows her affection as a Virgo. Okay. And then her Mars is in Gemini. So from this chart, <sighs> <laughs> she is very intense. She is very driven and ambitious. We are going to see that. She's very intelligent. <laughs> what? She's all about serving others. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and she's got her finger in every pot. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, when I read her I'm chart, finger in every pie, every pot, every pie, every whatever. <laughs> She's got her fingers everywhere. Jar you that want to dirty. include or oh, <laughs> clean those fingers. Oh, hey. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Um. So she was the second daughter of Henry VIII by his second and best wife, Anne Boleyn. Oh, wow. <laughs> Oh. I was um I was listening to another podcast about Mary Tudor recently because I just wanted to get grounded in the period, yes. and Anne Boleyn just seemed like the worst kind of stepmom. So I'm like, as I say that, I also recognize she, she wasn't great to stole Mary. Henry from Catherine. She is a homewrecker. She said she was too good to be his mistress. So it's not her fault that Henry was like, okay, well, I still want you. She was still somebody's mistress, Rachel. She wasn't his mistress. She refused. Yeah, but she didn't back down either. No, okay. <laughs> so when we're going to cover Anne Boleyn one day because she even left court. Oh. And he continued to send her these love letters and he wouldn't leave her alone. Yeah. You don't have to read them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just mad because I like Catherine. <laughs> And I love Anne Boleyn. And this fucking so. started the whole bullshit of Henry being like, I have the power. But we wouldn't have Elizabeth without I Anne Boleyn. <laughs> We're getting off track. What are we not off track? Fair. Um, so Elizabeth was named after her two grandmothers, Elizabeth of York and the Lady Elizabeth Howard. Henry VIII and his first wife, Catherine of Aragon, had been plagued for years by a childless marriage until Catherine finally gave birth to their one and only healthy child. Unfortunately, it was a girl. <laughs> Just can't have that. Yeah, Henry no, Henry needs a son. Fucking dare you. He needs an heir. Because, um, you know, misogyny. Mm -hmm. Weird. <laughs> Women can't rule. Mm, oh, wait. <laughs> we can. When it became clear that Catherine would give him no more children, Henry suddenly found a conscience and realized that he had been living in sin with his dead brother's wife the whole time. Oh, yeah. When it was convenient for you, you realized it. <laughs> if you'd like more details on that, go listen to the Mary Tudor episode, because we don't have time. We do not have time. Henry now had the pretense he needed to set aside his Spanish queen and get himself a younger, more beautiful, and hopefully fertile wife. Yeah. Enter Anne Boleyn. So whereas Elizabeth's older sister, Mary, had been of royal stock from two very powerful nations, on both her father and her mother's side, Elizabeth's parents were both English. This is actually very rare in the English monarchy. Usually the king marries um, foreigner. a foreigner to build an bonds. alliance. <laughs> yes, for bonds. <laughs> yes, women are sold like cattle. We know. Henry VIII was a scion of the Tudor dynasty and a descendant of the Plantagenet line of kings that had ruled England for centuries. He was the epitome of a Renaissance king who loved to ride in tourneys, fight in wars, and measure ducks with the kings of both France and Spain. <laughs> I forgot about that. You forgot about the duck measuring. Measuring ducks. Oh, that's great. What do we mean by ducks? We mean dicks, guys, for sure. <laughs> Go so listen Rachel, to Catherine de Medici part Rachel one. Rachel cat. The spell check is just perfect. Uh, <laughs> it becomes a thing. Yeah. <laughs> and he was a king both loved and feared in his own time. As generous as he could be cruel and as proud as he could be vain and stubborn. <laughs> Anne Boleyn was the daughter of a social climbing commoner, but her mother had been of noble English stock and linked to the powerful Howard family 
at the time had the dukedom of Norfolk. Anne's very powerful uncle, Thomas Howard, the Duke of Norfolk, would be instrumental in grooming and maneuvering Anne Boleyn into place so that she could catch Henry VIII's eye. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so I am always like, Anne wasn't just a homewrecker, okay? No, she I know. had very she little was, choice in the I matter. I know, as, women, as all women don't do. Don't? They don't have choices. <laughs> yeah, very rarely have choices. Yeah, yeah. Unless you're okay. Elizabeth. And then Your cattle to be maneuvered as Then as you deal the, with the consequences. As the menfolk, please. <laughs> and then we have to clean up your fucking messes. Sorry. So it would take six years of courtship with Anne Boleyn refusing to be Henry's mistress as so many before her had been before Henry could secure an annulment with his first wife and marry Anne in her place. Anne was already pregnant with Elizabeth by the time they married and she gave birth to her a few months later. Anne would go on to endure two to three more failed pregnancies before she fell from Henry's favor, and he moved to have her replaced, just as he had Catherine of Aragon. Honestly, I know that everyone thinks the curse is not real, but come on. It's the curse is real. Scary. <laughs> even there even were the consequences. Son, even the son he had died. Like, come on, that curse is real. Hey, spoiler alert. We knew that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we're like running parallel to Mary now. <laughs> Y'all should be listening in order, and if not, then it's your fault. So just so you know, the, the kid dies. <laughs> <laughs> the kid that doesn't exist yet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. In the end. He's doomed from the start because he's <laughs> Henry VIII's kid. Anne Boleyn was charged with treason. She was charged with conspiring to murder her husband yeah. along with 20 plus charges of adultery that were slapped on to add salt to the wound. Yeah. Add salt to the wound because the menfolk are the biggest of adulterers, but it's different. Yeah. It's always different when different. it's a woman. Because then you can't yeah, cause every man be sure be, of the paternity of her child. Every man would have lost his head if adultery was real for men, too. <laughs> Among the accursed adulterers had been Anne Boleyn's own brother. The accusation came from his wife. Although the charges are largely believed to be false, they sealed the fate for both Anne and her brother George. Hi, bud. <laughs> when Elizabeth was born, she had been named her father's heir and supplanted her older half-sister Mary in the line of succession for the English throne. But once her mother became a disgraced traitor, Elizabeth's father declared her to be illegitimate. Elizabeth was not yet three years old. How fucking dare you? Like, I know I said this before, but like, we're always so mad at Henry because of what he did to his wives, but what he did to his children was far yeah. worse. And they're the, the ones, table. and and we'll, we'll find this out with Elizabeth as we get deeper mm -hmm. into her. She's... She, <laughs> She's four-year-old. She's uh, scarred for life. Yeah. Pretty much after this, she also never talks about her mother, like not a single time. Well, yeah, because your father killed your mother in a horrible way. And named way. her a traitor. Yeah, yeah. So she like couldn't even talk about her mother. God, that's She's terrible. orphaned at the age of three. Yeah. Literally because of a domestic dispute, guys. I just want you to. We'll put this into perspective for nowadays. Buddy, you gotta sit down. He's like, no, I am a wiggle butt, and I must move. You are a wiggle boy. <laughs> Buddy, there's a big dog down there. He's like, I want to see it. <laughs> I want to hit it. Loki, he's very spussy. This one's just been exploring the whole time. Before Henry set Anne aside, she had managed to introduce him to some Reformation philosophy. Her legacy would plant the seeds of Protestantism in England and provide Henry with a new way of thinking that facilitated his break from Rome and the establishment of the Church of England as a separate ent entity. Following the death of Anne Boleyn, 
Henry refused to see his daughter. You know, it's it's because she reminded him of somebody he had killed for his own selfish reasons. (laughs) Elizabeth soon had a series of stepmothers that followed, each working to reconcile Henry with his two bastardized daughters in her own way. Elizabeth's first stepmother, the boring Jane Seymour, would end up giving Henry that ever-elusive son that he so desired. And then she died a few days later, getting out before Henry could grow tired of her the way he had with his first two wives. She won. (laughs) Henry's fourth wife was Anne of Cleves, who managed to win the game of life by being unattractive to Henry, which resulted in their marriage getting annulled. How did they get, like... I, I know that marriages are planned. Jesus, dude. So, um, they would send portraits. Okay. So, a portrait was sent of her, and I, he, I guess he complained that the portrait, basically that he was catfished. It was like a historical version of karma, catfishing. <laughs> the universe is like, you've done this enough. Actually, if you've, you've seen, if, you've, if you look up portraits of Anne of Cleves... <laughs> He married Anne's and Catherine's. I just thought of that. Yeah, Two Anne's I thought about that Catherine's. last episode, and I was like, "Huh, weird." Um, she actually looks beautiful, and she's played by Joss Stone well, also, in The Tudors. This is also Henry VIII. Yeah, so. fair. Yeah, he said she looked like a horse. I think she just had like an elongated. So face. she had a Sarah Jessica Parker face. Yeah, Sarah Jessica Parker can be pretty. <laughs> Sorry, I feel like <laughs> Wife number five was the teenager Catherine Howard, who did not last long and met the same fate as Elizabeth's mother, followed by charges of treason and adultery. And following the death of Catherine Howard, Elizabeth allegedly said, I will never marry. She was eight years old at the time. Oh my God. Yeah, she's basically witnessing just her father completely setting aside all these women in his life. Yeah. Not a great example to set for your children. Oh, and she said that, according to the, like, myth, she said that to Robert Dudley. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) It was Elizabeth's fourth and final stepmother, Catherine Parr, who stepped in and made sure that Elizabeth was reconciled with her father and reinstated in the line of succession after her brother Edward and her sister Mary. Can you imagine, like, how obstinate you have to be to where every single wife you've had has been like, maybe don't be a dick to them. It's yeah. not their fault. You're awful. <laughs> but he was a narcissist, yes. so... Yes, and he... just didn't he care. Could, he could not be wrong. He had to be right. And yes. he would never, ever admit that he didn't do the right thing. And he would bully you into saying he was right, as he yeah. did to Mary. Yeah. Which was just... Ugh, yeah. yeah. Henry still refused to legitimize his two daughters, and the stamp of bastard would go on to follow Elizabeth for the duration of her life. Catherine Parr also exposed Elizabeth to the classical Renaissance education of the period, which taught Greek, Latin, and humanist principles. Elizabeth was also taught French, Dutch, Italian, Scottish, Welsh, and likely some of the Irish languages, and Spanish. Jesus, woman. Meanwhile, I'm like, hola. <laughs> like, that's all I know. <laughs> so, it's been suggested that Elizabeth is the best educated woman of her time hell yeah and just to show you what what kind of a virgo she is oh no in her later life she enjoyed translating classical greek texts into english just for fun for funsies for funsies funsies. yeah she she wanted to see if she could do it 
Oh, man. That's pretty great, though. <laughs> she was said to have a remarkable memory along with an alarming intelligence. So think of Mary, Queen of Scots. Remember when they were like, she's alarmingly beautiful? Yeah. Elizabeth is alarmingly intelligent. <laughs> the menfolk were like, oh, no. I think I just peed. <laughs> and she delighted in showing off both her knowledge and her skill with languages. That would be so intimidating. And like, obnoxious. Also obnoxious. Like a little obnoxious. But that's what I'm hoping we get. Highly intimidating where you're just like, yeah, that's that, like you like you think of her as a marriage prospect. This and you're like, is what? This will determine if I like the becoming Elizabeth show or not. I need to see more of it. If they make her like yeah. yeah. We get little we've got we got little bits in episode one, so I'm curious. I mean, they they've got her strategic mind down. Yes. Like she's very much starting to be strategic self but yeah they they kind of play her off as like <laughs> dumb but not this intelligent just naive yeah which fair she's only 14 as we're yeah, gonna find out she wasn't really raised to be a princess or a queen. no she so wasn't that's not I mean, at all this is why her reign is so amazing it is said that she continued this pursuit of knowledge all her life and diligently tried to set aside three hours every day to read historical books that's great I mean, no, historical books, boring, but. <laughs> Excuse me. Sorry. <laughs> but this is literally our podcast. No. I'm saying dry historical books. We make it fun. <laughs> Most historical books are dry. Don't tell me they're not. <laughs> A lot of them are. <laughs> Elizabeth was also skilled in the more traditionally feminine arts as well, including embroidery, singing, writing music, and playing the lute and the virginals. Did you see that thing I posted? About the virginals? No, the, um, somebody had, what is it? You just said it. The, the needlework. Oh, embroidery. Thank you. Someone had embroidered something, but it was like, it was such, such a thing that I would definitely embroider. It was like, this shows you I have patience to stab something over a Oh, yes. Times. Yeah. <laughs> I did see that. That is the type of embroidery I would do for sure. <laughs> They'd probably be like, let's not let her do that anymore. <laughs> Elizabeth was also very skilled um, at horseback riding, and she enjoyed hunting with a crossbow. Oh. Above all else, though, Elizabeth loved to dance. Okay. That was her thing. But she's a Protestant. I know. It's so weird, but we're going to talk about that. <laughs> we're going to talk about it. She's very... She's very... Uh, I mean, I don't agree with the Protestantism, the Protestant way of, oh, dancing well, is terrible. Well, because... that's, a, that's a puritanical Protestant yeah. belief. The the Puritans who came to the United States actually fled Elizabeth um, in her time period because she they felt she wasn't fanatical enough. Wow. So the Protestants that came to that the United States... In our book. <laughs> the Protestants that came to the United States were the fanatical assholes. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. Like, we don't want them. <laughs> it's too to late. this day, we don't want them. <laughs> Not the religion, just the fanatical ones, people. Everyone calm down. <laughs> Catherine Parr also introduced Elizabeth to Protestant theology and ideals, and it is believed that the base for Elizabeth's Protestant faith was formed during this time. So she was already Protestant, but Catherine Parr was like, let's get you real Protestant? I would say that it's really in Catherine's care that she's getting the books she's okay if you've seen like the tutors um and not that that's like a historical source <laughs> but Catherine mentions in the show like your mother was a protestant mm -hmm. so i want to make sure to give you um literature your mother would have given you i'm really liking Catherine, which probably means it's gonna turn later on 
damn it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Now, Catherine did not long remain a widow. Hold on. I skipped a part. Hold, please. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> okay. I mean, I knew Henry died, but did we know Henry died? No. So in 1547, Henry, Henry died. Henry VIII dies. It's okay to cheer. Woo! Woo! <laughs> and Elizabeth's half-brother, Edward, ascends to the English throne at nine years old. Nine years old, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Elizabeth is around the age of 14. This is what I want you to remember as we talk about this next part. Good God. They, the show did a really good job of capturing, like, the kid being like, I'm nine. Like, yeah, <laughs> he didn't look nine. He looked like he was in his teens, but. Yeah, but he, like, the personality. He has yeah. definitely the personality of a child. Yeah. You mean the wet towel because <laughs> he's just raised to be king and he was useless until he became king? Well, what nine-year-old is going to come and be, like, a good king right away? No, I'm just saying he had, he had like, no, like, nothing going for him. Yeah. That's what I mean. Well, I, I'm sure they're trying to make him, like... I just can't imagine royal children being that interesting. Yeah. Unless you're Elizabeth. They are, unless you're Elizabeth. But she wasn't pampered. Or even Mary. Yeah. But she wasn't pampered. Exactly. The trauma. <laughs> the unpampered ones are the... The trauma gives us our personalities. Yeah. We're all just walking trauma responses. <laughs> Following the death of her father, Elizabeth went to live with her stepmother, Catherine Parr. Catherine did not long remain a widow following Henry's death and very quickly remarried a man by the name of Thomas Seymour. So this is one of the boring Jane Seymour's brothers. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so mad because he's so charming in the show. He's so charming. I'm but... like, Rachel, I know I don't, I know I shouldn't like him, but this goddamn actor well, is doing it for me. <laughs> I don't think. <laughs> okay. So a bit on Thomas Seymour. Here we go. Thomas was the brother of Edward VI, new Lord Protector and Regent Edward Seymour. Thomas was the said. Baby king. <laughs> Thomas was said to be an especially ambitious man and a notorious flirt, but his brother's new position of power protected him. Um, I want you to think of him as a type of Lord Darnley figure. Okay. Yeah. Lord Darnley was Mary's second husband. Douchey husband. Yes. Who ruined everything. <laughs> Before he married Catherine Parr, he allegedly petitioned to marry either Mary or Elizabeth, but Edward's counsel forbade it. He's not reaching. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Thomas ended up marrying Catherine Parr instead. And from what I understand, they'd actually known each other for a while and were like supposedly in love until Henry VIII came along and slept her up. <laughs> yeah. I bet you he was just like, damn it. I'm not a king. <laughs> now, what followed next is very sketch, um, oh. and I'm going to give a trigger warning for potential sexual abuse here. Oh, no. So if that's something um, you don't want to listen to, I would just skip ahead maybe five minutes. So although he was married to Parr, Thomas paid Elizabeth a very uncomfortable and inappropriate amount of attention. What male doesn't do that? He would allegedly enter her bedroom in his oh. nightgown... Um, that historians have very flippantly referred to as romps. It just makes me angry to read that anyway. Um, where he would tickle her and slap her butt when she was 14 years old. Ew. Yes, that's why I'm like, mm, you're not. No. Crap. Elizabeth's governess apparently caught him in the act one day and reported his activity to Catherine Parr. 
and Parr defended Thomas Seymour's actions by claiming they were innocent in nature and allegedly joined in on the two um, on two different occasions where they were tickling Elizabeth in bed. So all I want to say is right here is a child who was tickled. Never in the history of history is it okay. Like tickling is just weird for me. Like yes. tickling is uh, especially yeah. like like uh, tickling the feet is cute. Tickling under the, the armpits is cute. But fucking stop after a minute. Well, like it, it's and, weird. And when you're a teenager too. Yeah, also you have to think of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's just not great. Like it's just weird. Tickling is weird. Um, and Elizabeth clearly did not think it was innocent fun herself because she made it a point to wake up early and make sure she was always surrounded by her maids in order to repel unwelcome advances made by Seymour no. in the mornings. No. When Catherine Parr became pregnant, Seymour's attentions toward Elizabeth grew even more intense. That is problematic. And it was only after Catherine allegedly caught them in an embrace of sorts that she grew more alarmed by this activity and sent Elizabeth away. Mm -hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to inform you that is grooming at its finest. Exactly. <laughs> Whether I deal with that on a daily, not so, by myself, but in so here's here's the thing. Um, and I'm, I'm very curious to see how the coming Elizabeth handles this because it has been suggested Elizabeth did find Thomas Seymour to be charming. Yeah. And when you're 14, you are at an impressionable age where certain kinds of attention, it, it might influence you. It's yeah. as you said, he was grooming her. Yeah. Um, And as we're going to find out, like there's a little bit more that happens, but it's it's so hard to say if she was truly like if she truly knew what was going on if she was very much like i don't want him anywhere near me it, it it's hard to well, say well if you're in situations like that and if the groomer does it well enough mm -hmm. they're not just grooming you they're grooming the people around yes. you yes and you are in this weird and I will say it does kind of feel that way when we're watching yeah the show. you're you're in this weird I just... situation where like you think it's wrong, but no one else around you is really speaking up. So or then you, you might doubt even, yourself. You might not even fully know what's wrong because if she had never experienced this kind of attention before, she yeah. might. Yeah. And I mean, she yeah. never had attention from her father. So here we are. So with yeah, that. It's, it's a very <laughs> sketch situation. Yeah, it's not great anyway. And a lot of historians think um, this, along with like a couple of other things, really influenced her beliefs of not wanting to get married. Men are gross. And men are gross and other well, men also his, lead to bad things. Look at his father going through lives like it's his fucking job. <laughs> <laughs> he made it his job. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> so again, after Catherine catches them in this embrace, I don't know what that embrace was. If it was just a hug, if it was something more, she sends Elizabeth away. And whether it was because she felt genuinely threatened in her marriage by Elizabeth, or she was concerned for Elizabeth's virtue or a combination of the two is kind of anyone's best guess. I want to, I want it to be the latter, but you know, it's probably the former. I, part of me wants to give her the benefit of the doubt and say it's a combination of the two, but who knows? I, I I'm not saying that to be like Catherine Parr. Yeah, no, but yeah. I'm saying that to be like, you have to think of it too. This is like a future queen. Yeah. So that's probably another reason why she felt threatened. Like anything. Actually, they didn't really think she was going to be a queen at the, at this point. Sorry. 
it was they very much believed edward would have a child and if not edward mary's next yeah so but at the very least it is a, a young noble girl She's who is the, the daughter yeah it's the daughter of a king so yeah here's the tragedy catherine parr does end up dying in childbirth oh no yeah yeah she yeah she dies very shortly after um and not long after this guess what thomas seymour does stop fetches elizabeth so he plots not only to marry elizabeth himself but also to murder and depose his own brother the current lord protector of edward the sixth so that he could usurp power for himself and maybe possibly put him and elizabeth on the throne i know he was a bad guy but jesus christ I told you he was like Lord Darnley. No, <laughs> you think this was going? It's just terrible. <sighs> you know, it's, every time, every time I hear a story like this, I'm like, I've heard this story about a thousand and one times, and I'm still just like, what? Yeah, it's like you, I'm you sorry, know, more time, but, but you don't know the awful? details. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Look at Jasmine. Oh my gosh, <laughs> ma'am. She's in her little round bed and it's covered and all you see is her paw just like hanging out the side <laughs> evocatively. <laughs> Thomas Seymour would end up being convicted of treason and he sentenced to death. When he died, Elizabeth said, this day died a man of much wit and very little judgment. Ooh, that's, that's valid. Now, people have speculated over the relationship between Thomas Seymour and Elizabeth for centuries, including speculation over a potential sexual relationship. When the full details of his behavior towards Elizabeth were uncovered, Elizabeth and her servants were all interrogated intensely to determine what her role had been in it all. And her reputation was very nearly destroyed. Ugh. Yeah. Part of the interrogation was meant to determine what knowledge, if any, she possessed of Seymour's plot to depose his brother and position them both closer to the boy king, Edward. I love how women are seen as stupid until something like this happens, and then they're suddenly like, wait, you might not be. (laughs) Well, I'm sure it's also just a political thing of, like, make sure we keep her away from the throne. Yeah. This interrogation would not be Elizabeth's last, and she was reported as having been especially stubborn during the interrogation, refusing to say or reveal anything. Is this the one where you were talking last time about the wordsmithing, or is this after? Nope. This is her first. Oh, shit. Okay. Her first encounter. She's good at wordsmithing, guys. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) One of her interrogators was said to be incredibly exasperated with her and claimed very misogynistically, I do see it in her face that she is guilty. Uh, fuck you. You're just mad because you can't break me, bitch. <laughs> can't break like a 16 year old girl. Yeah, yeah. that's embarrassing. Elizabeth <laughs> ego dealing. <laughs> Elizabeth managed to evade charges of treason, but it has been suggested that the entire experience with Seymour and the aftermath of confusion, shame, and judgment deeply influenced Elizabeth's views on sex and love. She'll also go on to basically equate love with a man with death. That's a very valid, very valid conclusion for her. (laughs) During her brother's reign, England continued to experience the Reformation in full. Edward and his regents continued several of the religious policies that had been started by Henry VIII. They dissolved the monasteries around England, reinforced England's break with Rome, and officially converted the country to Protestantism. That just, like, I mean, you could have just converted them and not destroyed everything else. Well, they want the money from the churches. I know. It's a very selfish thing they're doing. Weird how greed and religion are (laughs) always in line. In 1549, the Act of Uniformity was created to revamp rights for church services across the country, 
barring the use of Latin in church services and establishing the Book of Common Prayer as the sole legal form of worship in England. I love that for them because I've been to churches that have, (laughs) they're all in Latin. I'm like, what the fuck is happening? (laughs) Well, that's done deliberately. Like, that's why um, the Roman Catholic Church was very much against this because if you are the one creating the language that's being spoken of in you church. You can manipulate the shit out of it. Too. Exactly. Yeah. You are determining what people interpret from the Bible. Yeah. The suppression of Catholicism would be a common theme during Edward's reign. Elizabeth was raised by Protestant sympathizers and would not have been affected by these changes, but her older sister Mary would suddenly find her own faith under fire. Uh-oh. Although Mary had the benefit of being a royal, albeit an illegitimate one, albeit, sorry, <laughs> every time, <laughs> albeit an illegitimate one, this offered her some protection. Other Catholics in Northern England were not so lucky. Yeah, or France, or Spain. Well, Spain was okay, <laughs> I guess. Well, uh, Spain's okay if you're Catholic. It's not okay if you're Protestant or Jewish or Muslim or or basically, yeah. (laughs) Any whiff of religious protest was met with violent suppression and several Catholic nobles lost their lives during Edward's reign. No. The suppression of Catholicism would plant the seeds of resentment and hatred that would later sprout during Elizabeth's reign, but we will save that for another episode. (laughs) That's for later. In 1553, Elizabeth's half-brother, King Edward VI, died of tuberculosis at the age of 15. 15 years old. Yeah. All of Henry VIII's efforts to get himself a son had been for naught. The male line (laughs) of the Tudor dynasty officially died with Edward. Thank God. According to Henry VIII's will, this meant that Mary Tudor was next in line for the throne. But Edward and his council had other ideas. Of course they did. Do you remember what happens? Jane Grey? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. You're like nine seconds. It's like, who the fuck is Jane Grey? (laughs) (laughs) We're going to tell you. I remembered. So proud of myself. So Edward's fear, along with his chief advisor at the time of his death, um, this is now John Dudley, the Duke of Northumberland. Okay was that if Mary Tudor came to the throne, she would undo all the religious reforms enacted by Henry VIII and Edward VI and reinstate Catholicism as the official religion of England. Spoiler alert, she does. Yes. But they're still pieces of shit. Anyway, while on his deathbed, Edward and Northumberland worked to circumvent the natural line of succession and place his cousin, the Lady Jane Grey, on the throne in Mary's place. Edward's legal justification was that Mary was illegitimate. And Jane Grey is actually the next legitimate person in line for the throne. Interesting that that's all, that word is always thrown around when somebody <laughs> needs something. Now, there was no way to remove Mary from the line of succession on the grounds that she was not legitimate without doing the same to Elizabeth. And so Elizabeth once again found herself removed from the English line of succession due to the machinations of self-serving narcissistic men. At this point, I would have been like, do I really want it? No. No, I don't. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Will I take it if you hand it to me? Probably. But do I want it? No. Edward was allegedly very regretful to remove Elizabeth from the line of succession. (laughs) Do you see this fool right now? What's he doing? That's his head. Oh, no, sir. He's trying to break free of this blanket. (laughs) He wants freedom. Can you calm down? Where are you going? Sorry. <laughs> um, anyway, so 
yeah, he removes her from the line of succession. And historians still debate to this day whether it was done of his own free will or if the Duke of Northumberland crept in like a mustache twirling villain to whisper in the boy king's ear and manipulate his final wishes. Yeah, he's very much vilified by history. So we we did see him in the first episode as kind of like a side character. Yeah. Yeah. The first episode of Becoming Elizabeth. This is not free advertising for... Not at all. (laughs) Becoming Elizabeth, but watch it. But we enjoy history stuff. As long as it's not books. So, <laughs> I like the books. You like the books. Cat doesn't like the books. No. <laughs> this is why Rachel does research and I listen. <laughs> so, who exactly was this mysterious lady, Jane Grey? And why would the Duke of Northumberland wish to put her on the throne? So, Jane Grey was the granddaughter of Mary Tudor, a different one. <laughs> this is what? Henry VIII's <laughs> sister <laughs> and Henry VIII's best friend, Charles Brandon. She would have been the next person in line to the throne without the stamp of illegitimacy hanging over her head. Conveniently for the Duke of Northumberland, Jane Grey also happened to be his daughter-in-law as she was married to his son, Lord Guildford Dudley. Guildford? Guildford. You had a name like Guildford and you've picked Henry's and Williams and James's? Yes. Guildford. 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 I need to name an animal Guildford. Like, this Please is amazing. Do. You can call him Gilly. Senor Gilf. Oh my god, that's so cute! I'll never name a child that. <laughs> After Edward died, Jane was proclaimed the Queen of England by Northumberland and his allies on July 6, 1553. Her reign lasted a grand total of nine days, earning her the nickname of the Nine Day Queen. Aww. While Northumberland moved to secure his power base around Jane, he schemed to have Mary Tudor captured to prevent her from upsetting Jane's ascension. But Mary managed to evade him and fled to southern England until she could gather enough of the military support to march on London. And as it turns out, Northumberland overplayed his hand. Yeah, majorly. He basically pissed off a lot of people during his tenure as Edward's regent, and so his plan pretty much collapsed around him and... From the way I read about it, basically, Mary sent a letter to the Privy Council and was like, I'm coming. You better prepare for me. And if there's a usurper in my place, whoever supports them will die. Fuck yeah. So she started (laughs) off strong. Yes. She started off strong. Did you say that in the last episode? I didn't. I found out after the fact. I know. It was such a good Mary moment. So we'll conclude it here. There you go. Jane was deposed on July 19th, 1553, and then imprisoned in the Tower of London with her husband and her father-in-law. Meanwhile, poor Jane, like, I didn't even want this. Like, I didn't even want this. Poor (laughs) Jane. That's just a bad luck name in this time period. Yeah, it's not great. You're either boring or you get fucked. (laughs) Not in a fun way. Oh, no. (laughs) Now, Elizabeth had stayed quiet during all of this politicking. She had by this point mastered the art of discipline and was just as skilled at knowing when to speak up as she was at knowing when to keep her mouth shut and her opinions to herself. I definitely don't have that. No. Not at all. But I do. (laughs) Yeah, you're usually like, Kat, if you could just shut the fuck up for five minutes, I'm like, (laughs) yeah! I won't stifle you. No, you won't. That's your thing. No, but you know when to to be like, Kat, maybe not. (laughs) (laughs) It's for later. (laughs) When Mary made her way to London to take the throne of England, Elizabeth finally emerged and rode to London to meet her sister. When Mary arrived at London, she was greeted by cheers in the streets, and her little sister was right there at her side. 
This... How quickly the tides turn. <laughs> as, <Aww>. Well, <laughs> as you say. So this triumphant moment of sisterly solidarity would be short-lived. Elizabeth found herself in a very precarious situation. She had been educated in the Protestant faith, and although she was careful not to publicly affirm that faith while her sister reigned, Mary would forever be suspicious of her sister's suspected heresy. You can't hide things from your family. You try really hard. But... Well, <clears throat> Elizabeth is pretty good at making sure the attention's not on her. That's awesome. <laughs> Again, skill I don't have. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so Mary is very wary that Elizabeth would become a scapegoat for Protestant uprisings the same way that she had herself for Catholic uprisings during Edward's reign. And spoiler alert. It happened. <laughs> it happens. <laughs> um, Mary it happened and it will happen. <laughs> Mary was officially anointed and crowned as England's first queen regnant on October 1st, 1553. And we've discussed this in the past. The past, but if you're curious as to what a queen regnant is versus a queen consort, a consort she holds all the power, not the consort. The <laughs> a consort marries the ruling king or queen, um, but the regnant is the ruling queen in this instance, the same way a king would be. I don't know why, but I've always loved the term consort. It's an interesting word. I just really like yeah, it. Yeah, I like that word too. Well, it just sounds. Pretty- but just not. sounds interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mary had initially promised that she would not force the country to revert to Catholicism, but that proved to be a lie. <laughs> yeah. In just a couple of short months, Mary had the most prominent Protestant leaders imprisoned and reinstated church doctrine that recognized Roman Catholicism as the official faith of England, as well as work to reconcile England with Rome. Like, I get that you want your religion to be the top dog of bullshit, but like... Why you gotta imprison and kill people? I just <laughs> because she truly views them as heretics. Never underestimate the power of fanaticism. fanaticism. Yeah, <laughs> to basically demonize and vilify people who don't think the same way well, that you do. That's it, why it's dangerous. It's unfortunate that yeah. we are going through that right now. Yes, that's cool. why we're telling this story. Yes, I did that on purpose. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh. Now, anyone who attended court was forced to attend Catholic mass. And Elizabeth was said to outwardly comply for the sake of her own preservation. So another interesting story and kind of the difference between these two sisters, when Edward tried to force Mary to convert, she famously said, I will die a martyr for my religion. Yeah. Elizabeth said she would not die a martyr for her religion. That'll give you kind of an idea of what you're dealing with when it comes to Elizabeth. Yeah. Elizabeth cleverly claimed that she was mostly ignorant about the Catholic faith rather than openly hostile towards it because she was raised by Protestant teachers, which she, of course, had no control over. Um, And this tactic, it works for a time. I I picture this randomly popped on my head. I apologize. Probably because you said clever. But I always picture if Elizabeth had a spirit animal, it would be a fox. That is very apt. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Very clever. Yeah. She knows when to like pick her moments, but she's also. She knows when to hide. She knows when to scream. (laughs) (laughs) She does. She's known for being very emotional at times. Me too. But it's been suspected she did that on purpose. Oh, okay. But maybe she didn't. Maybe she was just a hothead like her father, too. Weird. (laughs) Because he was known for throwing fits. The worst (laughs) fits ever. 
It was also right around this time that Mary decided to find herself a husband. This proved to be another precarious task, as Mary and England were both entering new territory when it came to a queen regnant and her rights once a husband entered the picture. According to English common law, all properties, titles, and lands belonging to a woman transferred to her husband once they were married. The dumbest law (laughs) ever. Under the law, anyone that Mary married would become the king of England not as a consort, but as an equal in power to the queen. No. It was for this reason they were very concerned with who Mary chose for her husband and petitioned to have her choose an English noble. (laughs) She doesn't. (laughs) Who does she pick? (laughs) Philip. (laughs) Of of Spania. Of Spania. (laughs) Jinx, you want me a go? No! Wow, I haven't so, you a cook in a really long time. Nope. <laughs> but you are exactly correct. Mary decides to set her sights on one of Catholicism's most powerful and favorite princes, Prince Philip II of Spain. Nah. This proved to be an incredibly unpopular choice, not only among Mary's allies, but her enemies as well. That's problematic. Like, you do not... <laughs> You're not like, hey, guys, who do you want me to marry? Not him. I'm going to marry him. Okay? (laughs) Mary was very stubborn in her own way, too. They are like their father in that way. (laughs) Mary's allies were concerned that the marriage would result in England being absorbed into the Habsburg dynasty and fall victim to the tyranny of Spanish rule, as Spain was at that point the most powerful kingdom in Western Europe. I have been graced with Babushka's presence. Don't mind her. You're just in her way. (laughs) She's like you said, Habsburg. That's not me just your walkway apparently yeah it's fine you're you're just in the way hi (laughs) oh my gosh okay she's just part of the podcast now she'll walk back over you in a second because she forgot look at her she's staring at you hi look you pet me motherfucker i can't i'm doing a podcast pet me (laughs) (laughs) for protestants in england this was a nightmare come true philip ii and his formidable father emperor charles v Remember that asshole? Uh-huh. <laughs> we're both... I sure as shit do remember <laughs> Charles the mother effing fifth. <laughs> we're both champions of Catholicism. They had worked to violently suppress Protestantism in Spain and across Europe. He's probably second on my list of most hated. Like after Henry? Yeah. And then maybe followed by Henry II of France? Possibly, yeah. <laughs> and then the Guises? Definitely the Basically, Guises, for sure. all the men in all of our stories. <laughs> also, yes, but there is an order. <laughs> okay, Jazzy... <laughs> We gotta, we gotta pick a spot for you, okay? Hi, why is it my oh, <laughs> face plant? Or why don't you? You dick. She's like, this is fine. I'm on both of you. Not long after the announcement was made, an uprising broke out across England, known as Wyatt's Rebellion. The four prominent rebel leaders had been Sir Thomas Wyatt. Interestingly enough, I just found this out. He was the son of the poet that Anne Boleyn was accused of having an affair with. Oh. Interesting. It is, yeah. Oh, interesting. Sir James Croft, Sir Peter Carew, and Henry Gray, the Duke of Suffolk, who happened to be Jane Gray's father. Oops. The four rebel leaders never specifically (laughs) cited religious reasons for the uprising, claiming instead that they were predominantly concerned the marriage to Philip would result in the country becoming a subordinate to Spain. Fair. That's usually (laughs) what happens, yes. But all four of the rebel leaders were Protestant, and it was later revealed that the intent had been to depose Mary and put Elizabeth in her place on the throne. Look, you're probably not wrong, but calm down. (laughs) And, like, don't bring other people 
yeah. into your The Protestants business. are like, we had nothing to do with this. <laughs> nothing. No, some of them did. Okay, some of them did. <laughs> but most of them didn't. They're like, they hate us already. Come on. Sir James Croft got so far as delivering a message to Elizabeth in person to inform her of the uprising. Um, but basically his own men were like, this is a bad idea and abandoned him. Oh, shit. Yeah. Meanwhile, Elizabeth gets a letter and she's like, what the fuck? She's probably like, shit. <laughs> of the four rebel leaders, the only leader who had managed to gather a substantial force had been James Wyatt. Uh-huh. By the time That's he reached... That's why the rebellion was named after him. Yes. <laughs> He's like, that is I correct. don't need this. Now you're starting to figure it yeah, out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's like, but this wasn't my idea. <laughs> I don't know what it was. <laughs> this is on him. <laughs> Put the blame where it belongs. That's fair. By the time he reaches Somebody London, <laughs> he managed to gather a force of 4,000 men, many of whom were country peasants and local gentry that felt the effects of the anti-Protestant rhetoric that was beginning to spread more so deeply. That really isn't an army. <laughs> I mean, like, at the time it is. That's yeah. a considerable force. Yeah, but I mean, you have farmers who don't know how to fight. No, they don't. Going up against the Queen's men. Yeah. I so, just really wanted to say the Queen's men. So the Queen's men <laughs> stopped the rebel army at London Bridge. And hey. also, again, we've dealt with this before. The people of London don't like being sieged. So yeah. they join the army. Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> This is how they're like, fuck you. Many times people will try to take London and the people of London are like, fuck you. Didn't like, they, didn't, who did they, who did they not let in? Yeah. Matilda. That's why she yeah. was never crowned. She's like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to liberate you. Was she? No. So once they stopped the forces, uh, the rebel army disbands and Sir Thomas Wyatt surrendered. The consequences were dire for those that were captured, and Mary's persecution of the traitors was just a hint of the violence that would continue later into her reign. But it's not any more aggressive than anyone else before her or after her. (laughs) Ninety rebels were executed in true medieval fashion by being hanged, drawn, and quartered. Didn't hurt. That was a lot. Yes. But like throughout his his career. His ruling. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of but where... But she's like, I'm gonna one-up you, Dad, in a day. <laughs> well, that's... And we talked about it in the last episode. Yes, she wasn't really doing anything different than anybody else, but it had amped up. Yeah. And it's in a very short amount of time. So let's not downplay no, no, Bloody no. Mary. No, 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 I'm not going to at all. <laughs> Wyatt endured severe torture as Mary's advisors worked hard to extract a confession of Elizabeth's alleged involvement in the plot. Wyatt did not give anything up, and he was beheaded outside the Tower of London, and then his body was quartered. Can you just imagine, like, how much hate you must have for a person to first hang them until they die, and then quarter them? Is it hatred, or is it just the way it was done? It's just, that's such... Like, it seems intense for us, but, like, that was the way you dealt with traitors but back then. he's already dead, and you're Well, yeah, but you want to send a message. Like, it's, you, it's about sending a message. Yeah, you want to stop rebellions from happening with this. Remember, they used to send the body parts yeah, all terrible. over the country? Absolutely yeah. It's not great. But, like, you know, in our, in our minds, we think it's hate, because nowadays, you have it to just hate a person It's so that, impassioned, but, but yeah, yeah. terrible. Well, I mean, come on. <laughs> Henry Gray, the Duke of Suffolk, was executed as well. His daughter had been the 90s queen, the Lady Jane Gray, and although Mary had previously spared her earlier, understanding Jane was but a pawn for the more powerful men in her life, Jane's father's betrayal sealed her fate. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Do you think Jane was mad? Like, I'd be mad. 
I, I'm she was dying probably just helpless. Yeah. That's, I, again, she's in the show, so I'm curious yeah. to see. I mean, we've got to see. They've got to cover Mary's reign because if they're going out of their way to show Jane Grey. Well, yeah, they showed Jane Grey. We're just getting Edward's reign. Yeah. yeah, it's Edward. I, I have a feeling it's going to lead up. I, I don't know. We'll see. I have we'll no see. idea. We'll Thank see. You. I've been trying I to think like... she's going to become queen at the very last episode. Maybe. Or maybe it'll end name. with like Jane Grey's execution. Possibly. That would be very interesting. Anyway. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we digress. After given the choice of being burned at the stake or being beheaded, Jane chose the latter. She was killed with one swift blow of the axe making her death quick and painless. And Jane Grey was only 16 or 17 years old. Oh, it's terrible. Once the traitors had been dealt with, Mary and her advisors had the unfortunate task of determining what role, if any, Elizabeth had played in the rebellion. She's like, I've been here the whole fucking time. <laughs> she, is at, time. she was at Hatfield. Um, but that's about to change. Oh, so. <laughs> shit. <laughs> the moment Mary's council caught whiff of the rebellion, they had Elizabeth summoned from her Sorry, it wasn't Hatfield. Wow. From her residence at Ashridge House. Um, I think, no, I deleted the picture. I have a picture of Hatfield. We'll look at it later. Hell yeah. Okay. <laughs> Wait, why um, do you have a picture of Hatfield? Where's Hatfield? It's also it's where she lived. It was like oh, her okay. main place of residence. Okay. Anyway, they summon Elizabeth from Ashridge House, and she goes to London to answer for charges of treason. She's like, no, <laughs> it wasn't me. <laughs> As Wyatt's men were gathered outside of London to attack, Elizabeth experienced intense interrogation. The chief architects behind the interrogation had been Simon Renard, the ambassador to Charles V and one of Mary's closest friends, Ooh. and Bishop Stephen Gardner, Mary's Lord Chancellor and chief advisor. Why does Stephen Gardner sound so familiar? I, I mentioned Gardner before in the last episode, I think very briefly, though. Okay. Simon Renard argued that Mary's throne would never be safe so long as Elizabeth lived, and Stephen Gardner worked tirelessly to bring Elizabeth to trial. This had been the first time in Elizabeth's life that she had been in true great peril, and she was eventually imprisoned in the Tower of London, where so many before her had gone only to meet the executioner's block. Yeah, most people don't come out of that. One of them had been her own mother, Anne Boleyn. Can you imagine the Can you imagine the trauma coming back? Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. That's crazy. And she's like, I didn't fucking do this. <laughs> uh, you, I feel like I would be mad at Mary because Mary understands well, what it's oh, what it's like to be a pawn. Go ahead and tell me why she gets mad at Mary. <laughs> <laughs> so this experience is largely believed to be Elizabeth's most traumatic moment in her life, and she would go on to cite it herself as being incredibly terrifying for her. It would also go on to influence some of her decisions later in life, like when it came to dealing with her cousin, Mary Queen of oh, Scots. Yeah. In the end, Elizabeth proved especially uncooperative and steely during the interrogation. She was observed as being intelligent and especially evasive with all her answers. Her long honed skill of keeping her mouth shut when it was necessary was paying off here. Throughout the entire interrogation and her two month stay in the Tower of London, Elizabeth fervently championed her innocence and insisted that she was completely unaware of the uprising against her sister. Elizabeth even wrote to Mary while she was imprisoned, proclaiming her innocence and promising her sister that she was her ever loyal servant. Wow. She may have been appealing to Mary's sisterly affections as Mary had helped to raise Elizabeth since she was a child. Ooh, yeah, that's probably right. Even I just... Yeah. 
how do you think you would do under torture? Because I feel like I would Oh, be, I wouldn't do well at all. I, I would know be that. like obstinate like this, but like at the same time, I don't want to feel pain. Like I have a high pain tolerance, but I don't like feeling pain. I feel like you would provoke them. So, yeah, I, I definitely would. They'd be like, take it back. Take it back. We don't want her. I, I mean, who knows? When it comes to like situations that are, that evoke that fight, flight, or um it's fight fawn, flight, freeze or, or fawn fawn is when you just um, collapse no fawn oh. is when you um are affectionate towards your your captor oh, to hear... save yourself yeah heard that one those oh. people pleasers that's a, a fawn response is for us it's our trauma i yeah. i know we feel unsafe so we're like i know fight flight freeze or collapse and fawn fawn's the fifth fawn. one Okay, I have to ask my. We have a, a psychologist on our team, so I want to ask her now. I'm like, hey, yeah, ask her. Can we include this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be very good for what you do. Yeah, yeah. Because it, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, back to our story. <laughs> Even if Elizabeth did not take a direct role in the uprising, Mary still understood that her sister's very existence was dangerous enough for anyone that might choose to use her as a figurehead to depose Mary. Elizabeth's life was spared, spoiler alert, Weird. <laughs> but Mary decided to place her under surveillance and Elizabeth was entrusted into the charge of Sir Henry Bedingfield and taken to the town of Woodstock where she would remain under house arrest for the next year. Where did Bedingfield come from? I have no idea. Okay. It's just the dude that was Because I know charge. that Bess was one of Elizabeth's friends who held... Her and her husband held yeah. Mary. Mm -hmm. So I'm just curious as to where Bedding I had thought about that too. Beddingfield. Okay. As Elizabeth and Beddingfield made their way from London through the streets of Woodstock, they were greeted by cheers along the way. Oh. England's <laughs> She's princess. She's like, please stop. Please, please fucking stop. Please. Oh my God. I just got out of this. <laughs> England's princess was still beloved of the people and Mary's popularity was fast depleting. Oh, that's not great. Elizabeth's like, you can love me, but shh, quiet, quiet. you gotta be quiet like me. Quietly, yeah. <laughs> During the next couple of years of Mary's reign, the suppression of Protestants grew more fervent and violent. In November of 1554, Mary revived the Heresy Acts, which were laws drafted under Richard II, Henry IV, and Henry V, which provided legal precedents for prosecuting heresy in England. Whatever heresy meant was kind of in the eye of the beholder. Yeah, it's up to interpretation. <laughs> For Mary, this meant any leading Protestant theologian in England and any priests that had taken wives and forsworn their vows of celibacy under Roman Catholic. Catholic? Catholic, that is it. <laughs> law. <laughs> but, like, they didn't take their vows under Catholic law. They... She doesn't care. You're, huh. If you're a Roman Catholic, you're not supposed to marry. But you're not a Roman Catholic. Priest. You're a Protestant. Some of the English Roman Protestant. Catholic priests who converted did marry. Yeah. <laughs> Following the revival of the Heresy Acts, hundreds of prominent Protestant churchmen fled England. Among them had been Little Duck, John Knox, the future famous Reformation <laughs> leader of Scotland, and the bane of Mary, Queen of Scots' existence. <laughs> <laughs> that's still like my favorite nickname yeah and great. you came up with it's it it's great, great. i'm just floored that it was david tennant who played him in that i know yeah Margot Robbie. i was like but he looks so familiar he's very good so he's such a good actor he's a good actor he yeah. he's one of those chameleon actors where you're just like yeah. what <laughs> yeah anyway moving on <laughs> 
Approximately 800 wealthy and prominent Protestants fled into exile. Those that chose to stick around and refused to be silenced did so with the understanding that they would likely become targets for the heresy laws and martyrs for the Protestant cause, and Mary did not disappoint them. <laughs> In February of 1555, several prominent Protestant theologians were rounded up and put on trial for heresy. Anyone that agreed to renounce Protestantism and convert to Catholicism saved their life, but several refused. What would you do? I know you're not religious. Neither am I. I'm spiritual. But, like, what would you do? I don't feel burdened by the idea that someone else needs to be involved. (laughs) No, I don't feel burdened by the idea that if God exists, he's going to be upset if I say... I believe in something else to save my life. So I would say whatever I needed to, to save my life. I'm like Elizabeth. I won't die a martyr for any religion. I would do whatever I needed to do to save my life. And then I would go after the fuckers. Yeah, exactly. You live now and then you. I never, see, I never understood that fanaticism where it's like, I'm going to die for my belief. And I'm like, your belief will understand. Like it wants people to believe here. (laughs) That's not what they were taught. I know. It's just, No, they were very much taught if you, again, you have to think one of the Ten Commandments is um, thou shall not love another God before me. Is that a commandment? Yeah. Is it? I'm probably saying it wrong, but yeah, it's it's the idolatry. It's one of the Ten Commandments. So if you are raised to truly believe that, you are basically Well, you're raised under a God God. who's like an asshole, basically. I'm a recovering Catholic. Because I'm like, I'm sorry, if God doesn't want me to do any of this stuff, he gets mad when I do, can he fuck off? that's not a very benevolent god no it's an awful god that's i mean then you're looking at potentially a demon if they're going to be that benevolent right probably shouldn't have this conversation on this podcast sorry look guys we're allowed to have our own viewpoints okay (laughs) i just think people should be able to worship as they choose without any fear you don't need to be fanatical and you don't need to push on other people but this is not our soapbox continue (laughs) (laughs) we'll put it away for now (laughs) oh it's good though i like you guys if you enjoy that was gonna happen In the span of five days, 283 people were executed, most of whom had been burned at the stake, as this was the prevailing form of execution that awaited those found guilty of heresy. Wait, this was under Mary's reign? Did you say this last time? Yes. Shit. I did. It was kind of towards the end. Ah. I think it just kind of like all the other stuff. Yeah, I was still thinking about everything else. (laughs) Yeah. Damn. Okay. In the span of five days. Fine, she may be cold. You you do remember because you were like, imagine all the smoke in London. I yeah. do recall. I do recall saying that. <laughs> I mean, you were probably also like, this is terrible. Let me block it from my memory. That and I fair. just brought it back for you. Thank you. Because I don't want people to forget that this is what happened. Yeah, <laughs> let's not forget all the people who died for the bullshit. Anyway. Among the high-profile execution cases had been Thomas Cranmer, the spiritual figurehead and leader of Protestantism in England, and the man responsible for drafting the annulment of Henry VIII and Catherine of Aragon. Ooh, that's... Sorry, dude. You don't remember that? No, I do, but like, sorry, dude. (laughs) For Mary, (laughs) this one had been personal, as Cranmer's actions resolved in the dissolution of her parents' marriage and the stamp of illegitimacy that she would wear for half her life. Yeah, you are the problem, bro. Mary's persecution of Protestants grew so unpopular that members of her husband's own ecclesiastical staff began to condemn them and caution Mary to ease up a little bit. Maybe you should listen to them. Yeah, it's, when it's the Spanish who were like all four, like, let's kill every Protestant. And, and they're telling you to calm down. Yeah, they're like, you're going to start a rebellion. <sighs> they're like, look, we kill them 
in a way that doesn't make us look We bad. spread it out. Yeah. We, like, layer it. Okay. You did 283 people in five days. You got excited. And Man. this is what happens. <laughs> but Mary had no concept of chill and would continue to vigorously persecute Protestants in England for the duration of her reign. Philip's like, what the fuck did I marry? <laughs> in time, Mary would become feared and condemned for being a tyrant. History would even grant her a chilling nickname in the form of Bloody Mary. <laughs> Sorry, I had to say it like that. Bloody Mary. Bloody Mary. And the brutal treatment of Protestants would forever be ingrained in English memory. Elizabeth remained under house arrest for the next year until some happy news reached her from London. You remember? Mary, I bet I'll remember Mary's when you tell me. pregnant. Oh, shit. Yeah, she's not, guys. She's not. <laughs> She's not. What do you mean she's not? No, she's not. She just had a burrito and it was due at five. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Guys, I don't joke lightly about pregnancy. Come on. <laughs> Elizabeth was summoned back to court to attend her sister during the final stages of Mary's pregnancy. God, this is so upsetting, this whole story. I know. Part of the reason for calling Elizabeth to court was that in the event Mary and her child died during childbirth, Elizabeth was like, I'm here. Elizabeth would become queen. <laughs> <laughs> she needed to be around to secure a smooth succession, but she also needed to be around in the event that Mary gave birth to a healthy child to show solidarity for the new heir that would supplant her. Unfortunately for Mary, it soon became clear that no child was coming as she had suffered a false pregnancy. Yeah, she got up to like 10 months before people were like, yeah, um, <laughs> I don't think that's a baby. How terrible. Like, oh God, like you she wanted just, a baby so bad that yeah. you thought it was like, but not pregnant. I know. It's, hor- it's so Women sad. Women still go through some serious shit. Mary soon fell into a deep depression, and it was becoming clear to the court that Mary was probably unable to have children at this point. Oh. This seemed to ensure Elizabeth's role as her successor, but Mary would continue to kind of drag her feet and refuse to officially name her. Was she wearing her drag her yes. feet <laughs> Not long after, Charles V of Spain retired from his role as King of Spain and Holy Roman Emperor, meaning that Mary's husband, Philip II, now had to leave England so that he could take his throne in Spain. That sucks. The but po- also, that sounds great. Right. Yeah, you, babe, you go living in two separate countries. Over there, and I will <laughs> rule over here, and we'll send letters. The political situation in Europe was now shifting. Spain was currently engaged in a decades-old war with France, and Philip was now entertaining the very real possibility that his wife might not live long enough in England, as Mary was perpetually sick now and not getting any better. Oh my god. Do you think do you think she like gave up? Like once we, that pregnancy? We know she didn't because she kept she's yeah, but like, I think she's pregnant again. She's just the it's delusion. At this point, she has nothing else. It sounds sad, but she kind of doesn't have anything else to live for. No, I mean, she couldn't you, find any other motivation. Even though you're the fucking queen of England, you still feel like you have you failed are, everyone because you, you are, didn't give an heir. Because you are trapped in these gender constraints mm-hmm. and the gender norms of the time. Yeah. And you can't break out of it. Girl, you're queen of fucking England. Congratulations. <laughs> So at this point, after Mary, there are two very strong contenders for the English throne. The obvious was Mary's successor, Elizabeth, but over in France was another young teenage girl mm. with a Scottish crown already firmly attached to her head and presently betrothed to the heir to the French throne. Her name... Mary Stuart? Yes. Yes. Queen of Scots. <laughs> so now she enters the picture. 
You would think that as a Catholic queen, Philip might have been more amenable to the idea of Mary Stuart becoming Queen of England. But at the time, she was allied with his French enemies, and so political ambitions found him supporting Elizabeth's claim. She's not Queen of Scotland right now, is she? She's She is Queen of Scotland. She's I just, mean, she's like not there she's presently not there. No, in the she's, moment Queen she's of She's being raised in the court she's of in France. Catherine and Henry. Okay. Yeah. I just want to know where she was. She's in France. Okay. She's a teenager. She's being raised she's in there. France. She's being raised French. Yeah, she becomes a French queen in Scotland later. And that's yeah. why they didn't like her. Yeah, so this is before she became queen. Yes, this is before she goes back to Scotland to actually rule the country. Oh, this is before she's queen of France. France. Okay. Yeah. Just she's just betrothed. Okay. Yeah. Oh, um, poor Francie. But yeah, <laughs> remember, remember this for later. At this time, Philip is supporting Elizabeth. Just remember that. Interesting. Just clock it in the Sir? back. Of your mind. Interesting how you're alive. For when Philip comes back shit. into our story in right. the next couple of episodes. Damn it. <laughs> Spanish Armada, anyone? Oh, shit. Yeah, dude. I forgot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, because she's constantly. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. <gasps> she employs pirates. Okay. <laughs> They're not really pirates, though. Uh, <laughs> it's opportunistic piracy, okay? Yeah. <gasps> this is one more girl. Yeah. We're ah! not quite there yet. Okay. We're getting ahead of ourselves. Sorry. <laughs> As Spain was currently at war with France, it was important to Philip that Spain retain its alliance with England, even if Mary died. And so he began to champion his cousin, Emmanuel Philibert, the Duke of Savoy, as a possible suitor for Elizabeth. Elizabeth's like, nah, thanks, though. I'm going to put my feet dragging slippers on. (laughs) (laughs) The union was born of political machinations, as Emmanuel would have ensured the Habsburg influence in England should he and Elizabeth end up having any children? Wait, so this was all Philip's doing? Mm-hmm. Elizabeth is like, I don't answer to you, so and fuck off. Yeah, Elizabeth famously <laughs> refused the betrothal, and she would get very good at this over time. Yes! She's like, I'm about to knit the fuck out of my feet dragging slippers. <laughs> so here we go. This is when she's creating them. Yeah, yeah, She's like, if you see this. She tries them on for the first time. I'm dragging my feet. <laughs> By 1557, Mary believed herself to be pregnant again and was overjoyed, but it turned out to be yet another phantom pregnancy. A couple of months later, the depression and perpetual illness that Mary suffered from for most of her life seemed to finally take its toll, and she fell severely ill in May of 1558. Elizabeth received news at her residence of Hatfield House that Mary was sick, and by October of 1558, it seemed clear that Mary would not live long. Um... Because Elizabeth at this point is already receiving dignitaries from Spain and England both to consult her about her new plan of government. Government. Wow. She's like, can I bury, like, can my sister <laughs> die first? Oh no, she's preparing. Shit. By early November of 1558, Mary officially recognized Elizabeth as her heir to eliminate any possibility of a disruption to the succession like the one she had endured herself. And on November 17th, 1558, Queen Mary the First of England died. Bye. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Bye. No one's sad, okay? She killed a lot of Protestants. She did. <laughs> but also, like, just because you name an heir doesn't mean it's going to be a smooth yeah, She She is, at the very least, not pulling what her brother did. True. And trying to name somebody else. She's like, I've been through that. It, it's Elizabeth's now, yeah. turn now. So she learned from somebody else's mistakes weird how that on her deathbed (laughs) (laughs) elizabeth knew the day was coming but she did not know when the specific day would be 
When the lords of the Privy Council traveled to Elizabeth's residence in Hatfield to inform her of her sister's death, they found her sitting under a giant oak tree reading a book. Yes! <laughs> and then they all knelt before their new sovereign, pledging their loyalty. Elizabeth Tudor, the bastard girl of Henry VIII and his disgraced second wife, Anne Boleyn, was now the Queen of England. She is 25 years old. Wow, she's like, fuck you, dad. I just People love that they found happy. her under an oak tree reading that a book. That makes me happy. <laughs> that makes me so happy. And in the story, she apparently like rose to her knees and then fell to her rose to her knees, rose to her feet and then fell to her knees again in tears. I mean, yeah, yeah. Like literally, everyone in her life tried to she make was, this not happen. She was not supposed to end up here, and yeah. here she is. Fuck yeah! Fuck yeah! Fuck you, Henry VIII. Awkward <laughs> How are you doing? <laughs> so my sources for today's episode, um, the book Elizabeth I by Allison Weir. I would just like you all to know that she texted me <laughs> asking me if she should buy a book. Like I was going to say no. <laughs> <laughs> 570 pages. Like you haven't read more than uh, last time. <laughs> no, I'm very intimidated. Anyway. <laughs> Also, Wikipedia, please donate to them. Yes, please, God. <laughs> and um, I found an article called The Relationship Between Mary and Elizabeth Tudor by Rebecca Larson on TudorsDynasty.com. Oh, yeah. So I know you've mentioned this before, but Elizabeth wrote a lot of her own history, correct? Yes. Did she write a lot of her own, like, pre-Queen history? We have a lot of letters from her. Okay. Same thing with Mary. That's okay. why we get a lot of information from this time period. Okay. We know exactly, like, how they felt because it's from them. Hell yeah. Which is kind of cool. I am here for it. I'm excited for this four-parter. This I'm is baby Elizabeth. Oh, look how cute she is. Oh, she's that so dress. beautiful. Oh, the thing I forgot to mention. I love her red hair. Or so, so looks-wise, she's five foot three. Oh, she's so little. She's little. She's so little. Imagine her and Mary. Oh, shit. Queen of Scots. Isn't Mary like an Amazon? Yeah, she's yeah, like yeah. almost six foot. She's like, how is it going up there? And um, yeah, so Elizabeth was said to have the flaming red hair of Henry, but the dark piercing eyes of Anne Boleyn. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. God, that's gotta be a degree too. Yeah. And then she starts speaking like eight languages soon. You're like, fine. And that's You're Henry and Anne. Me. Fuck you, Henry. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Oh, that's Little Dick John. No, no that's Thomas Seymour. Oh, the man he styled himself after Little Dick John. <laughs> the beard. Um, and it's then the beard. this is Hatfield where she lived. Oh shit! I and that place there. still exists, so you can <gasps> go visit it. All right, let's go, guys. We need funds to go travel. Yeah, please poor. sponsor us. I work and for then... the state, and Rachel works for Sprouts. That's her coronation. Oh hell That's yeah! The portrait of her coronation. Oh, I would totally drop that globe ball. The thing. ball thing. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I'm like, don't hand that to me unless you want it to be broken. <laughs> yeah, and there we go. Part yeah. one of Elizabeth. If All you right. would like to listen to part two, you'll have to come back in two weeks. You will have to wait, motherfuckers. So normally we would do a random question, but we decided to change things up a bit today. Yeah. So the reason we're changing it up is because Kat got an awesome new deck. Hell yeah. And she's really excited about what it. kind of a deck? It's called Wild Runes Deck. Okay. So runes, I'm going to, okay, so here's what I'm going to do. There's three different Explanation explanations okay. um, that I'm going to read for you guys, just so you guys have the history. So the first explanation is going to be the Norns and the Well of the Word, W... Weird. Y... Weird? Weird. Is that what it is? Mm -hmm. W-Y-R-D. All right. So here we go. 
past, present, and future, all interwoven, all feeding the threads of weird into and through each other. The three norns of fate, or weird, are the guardians of the well of the weird, where the first sparks of our destinies manifest. While the sisters do not control or per a person's weird, they present each indiv individual with tendrils of potential and choice. Our weird, after all, lies within our hearts and our hands. Okay. These Erd, are the sisters of fate. Yes, they're, they're also known as the sisters of fate. So Erd, the Norn of the past, is the eldest weaver. She holds the memories and wisdom of the universe within her, imparting these gifts as she weaves. Verdandi, the Norn of the present, represents the fertile stillness in this very moment, the point of potential between what was and the potential unfolding of word as it is now. Skuld, the youngest Norn, embodies the future and what could be if the ripples of weird remain flowing on their current path. She is also regarded as a figurehead of death, bearing the responsibility of cutting the threads of fate at the end of a life cycle. Frigga, also Freya, depending on which the Aesir or what's the other one? I can't the, remember. Is it the Anir? Yeah, Aesir and Anir, depending on who you follow. So Frigga, Earth... In Norse mythology. Yes, sorry, uh, apologies. Apologize. In Norse <laughs> Good. Norse mythology. I have to apologize. <laughs> Frigga, Earth Mother, who feeds and nurtures and knows all, spins the glistening fabric that composes the threads of fate. Together, these four feminine deities forge the very fodder... Deities. Deities. Sorry. Excuse me. No, I correct you all the time. You might as well, you might as well correct me when you can. Now the tables have turned. <laughs> How the tables have turned. <laughs> Together, these four feminine deities forge the very fodder from which we see, feel, contrive, and choose. In tandem, the cosmic foundation of fate is poured. By choice, our personal constellation of weird takes form. I love that. So you are responsible for your own fate. Like, yeah, there's multiple threads, but like you choose which, which thread, thread you, you want to follow. That is, do you remember my prologue? Yes. Or my, that's what inspired it was oh, yeah. this. Yeah. Fuck oh, yeah. All right. So, and she was like, "Oh God, she's gonna choose the gonna most have, destructive one." <laughs> I'm gonna read this one, and then you're gonna read that one. Okay. Okay. I want you to read that one. <laughs> All right. So this is a history of runes, uh, dating back to as early as the second century CE. The origins of the common Germanic runic Futhark system has endless theories, which is fitting. These esoteric symbols seem to span cultures, territories, and time itself. One of the most well-known origin myths is Odin's ordeal of self-sacrifice hanging himself for nine nights in Yg on Yggdrasil, the world tree in Norse lore. The almighty god sacrificed an eye. It was at this time, it is said, that the magic, mystery, and wisdom of the runes were revealed to him. From the Mediterranean to the Danube. 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 I want that E to be real. It's just Danube. <laughs> to Switzerland, to North Italics. Italics, that sounds weird. We're going with to it. the North Italics and to Et Etruscans. Sure, interesting. <laughs> uh, and to Germania, where this arcane collection of shapes and sounds echoing nature's language and landscape was embraced and infused into tribal spirituality. Mm -hmm. There is no shortage of links and references to this ancient alphabet, since little recorded history exists outside of Icelandic Edas. 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 Uh, Edas sounds. Sure. Good. <laughs> <laughs> it's the oral traditions that have truly carried the secrets and power of the runes forward. Perhaps that's fitting to completely pinpoint and decode these symbols, which strip them of their evocative source 
And it is this very energy that continues to draw people in, opening an unparalleled road of self-discovery and initiation. And it is here within this deck that the lore and magic of this history continues. So basically this deck takes the idea of rune stones and puts it into a tarot deck that is a little more easily understood to people who work with tarot. Yeah. Okay. So now you have the instructions card. So the instructions, like all of the tamed wild decks, intuition is the first tool when choosing cards or spreads. This deck contains powerful ancient symbols, which have been utilized for divination and spell work for centuries. Since there is little documented history of the runes, their interpretation and meaning continues to deepen and grow as more and more people seek to understand their mysteries. That being said, always come to the cards with respect for their energy and strength. Always approach the runes with the highest centered intentions, and if you feel called, invite your personal guides to preside over the readings, asking that only the most benevolent honest, helpful, loving messages and energies are allowed to enter your sacred space. Um, this is recommended with any kind of tarot deck. So you have, you have Christians who practice and they, mm-hmm. they ask God for their, um, God for guidance when they're pulling the cards too. So this is something that can be employed in any religion Across or any spirituality. Yeah. yeah. You may wish to consecrate the deck before using it. This can be done through smoke through light, through simple intentions. You can utilize smudge bundles. It is bundles. Okay. Mm -hmm. Candles or the will of your words alone. That's the beauty of magic. It resides within waiting for us to manifest it into form without. I love that line. Spread the cards before you, allowing your hand and heart to be intuitively guided like a magnet to those cards that heed your heart's call. Choose one, two, three, or more until a story and perhaps another mystery reveals itself to you. That's the beauty and mystique of this esoteric language and sound and form. All you need to do is ground, ask, and ready yourself to receive the magic of the runes. Hell yeah. So I'm going to do a uh, shameless plug uh, for Tamed and Wild. I started following them a while ago just on Instagram just because their aesthetic really Mm -hmm. drew me in. And then the more I saw, the more I fell in love with them because they're very much, you you need to go back to your wild roots. Mm -hmm. Um, You need to look within and they're very much embrace your femininity, no matter Mm -hmm. what dark, whatever, embrace that femininity and go forward with it. They're very into um, embracing your sexual femininity too. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because I know that I'm not ready to do that yet because some of the things that they... (laughs) Yeah, they post. I'm like, yeah, I'm not ready for that yet. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, everything they, they would, do, they would say, go with what you feel yeah. is right for you. Yeah, yeah. And so they'll they'll post like just random like here's you know your daily intentions and here's what the universe is telling you today. Um, they do what the universe is telling you, what the angels are telling you, and then just what you should probably the the path you should follow today for the collective. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just I love them. That's Everything cool. about them. They post yeah. like rituals. They post little like, here's a wellness spell. Here's a spell to center yourself and things like that. So you should oh. follow them. They're great. We'll check. It. Yeah. Send They're me really a link. Great. Yeah. So if you guys want to follow them, Tamed Wild, I will shamelessly plug them. <laughs> All right. So are you ready for this? I am. Do you want me to go first or you to go first? Um, I want to go first. Okay. <laughs> this is what I ask you. <laughs> okay. I'm excited. So I'm... do you want to me to just shuffle until you? Yeah feel like the rune that you need is speaking to you 
that one right there was <laughs> very much like pick me. <laughs> oh gosh. Stop. That one? No, now we're gonna I'm gonna pick oh, from the middle. Okay. So we're gonna spread them out. Do you wanna pick from the middle or just spread them out? Just spread them out and okay. I will let it guide me, like I said. Alright. And I personally don't like to work with spirits, but I do like to say I'm asking for guidance um with only benevolence and um something that's good for my highest being to discourage any <laughs> negative any evil doers or negative entities actions. yeah i feel like pulling two okay just what's my intuition is saying thank you okay that's a good one <laughs> okay i have like a little bit of knowledge of runes but i bought these to further my knowledge so I love that they have like the pronunciation there for mm -hmm. you. So this is Menaz. So it looks like an M with like an infinity sign up top, but like a triangular infinity sign. Associations are man, humanity, ancestors, origin, community, natural gifts, physical and spiritual cultivation. Charge. Self-development is paramount. Oh, that's very... Me. <laughs> on point. <laughs> Nurture and grow that which is natural and unique to you. Your gifts are necessary, not only for your personal development and fulfillment, but for the betterment of those in your chosen community. Never doubt yourself. Never doubt the magic that flows through your soul. That is your charge. That is your destiny. History and lore. Commonly associated with man and mankind, Menez also calls to our source, our original ancestors. This rune represents the core of humanity and the good that can be achieved when we actively work together towards our goals. Tribal communities depended on each other or on each member, not only to survive, but also to thrive. By surrendering the ego and remembering our roots, so much more can be accomplished. Where Ewaz speaks to spiritual development and the chariot of the soul, Menaz calls to harnessing that elevated sense of knowing and oneness and putting it all to work in the physical realm. So just real quick, Ewaz is the M without the infinity sign up top. Okay. That's good to know. I was about to be like, what is that? Thank <laughs> you. Um, it relates to the chakras of the heart, the root, and the sacral. The element is earth. That fits. That's my one of my main elements. Tarot cards are the Three of Pentacles, the Eight of Pentacles, the Ten of Pentacles, and the Ace of Wands. I like that they associate it with tarot. Um, and the Pentacle deck is also related to Earth, and then the Ace of Wands. Um, Wands is related to fire. Okay. Invocation. I see your eyes. They are my own. I see your struggle. It is mine. I commit to developing my myself in all ways so that you... My brothers and sisters can rise and thrive alongside me. Yes! That's very fitting. All right, that was the first card. The second card is Othala. You want to describe what that rune looks like? Um, It's like... It's like an X with a V at the top, but like... Yeah, so there's another... Sim <laughs> if anyone's read um, The Mortal Instruments, it's the angel rune upside down. Um, <laughs> it's... Yeah, so it's like the, the Jesus fish, but like pointing up interesting yeah okay. it does look like you that. know what i'm talking about jesus fish right yeah you yeah. see on cars yeah yeah associations property ancestral inheritance land kinship prosperity resources safe haven and home charge 
Here you may rest your bones, knowing and feeling deeply the support of your family and the stable structures you've erected over time and spiritual space. This is the sacred hearth that will forever cradle and comfort your soul and kin. This is your touchstone. This is yours. History and lore. Othala is a symbol of the ancestral home, the property that is passed from generation to generation. It is seen as a space of communal protection where a family can seek solace and in the space of acceptance and peace create abundance and uphold personal culture and tradition. Othala can also represent the delicate balance between chaos and order. The churning of internal and external elements invoking the eternal dance of love, fire, destruction, creation, and the physical and emotional maintenance that creates the ties that bind. Chakras are root and heart. Elements are earth and fire. Tarot cards are the Emperor, the Hermit, the Six of Cups, the Nine of Pentacles, and the Ten of Pentacles. Invocation is heart, home, spirit, bone. Unconditional support surrounds me through thick and thin. By the glowing hearth light, I reflect the resonance, faith, and inheritance of my kin. So these two cards are reminding me to remember my ancestors who are part of the reason I am here comes from them and to continue to share my gifts with humanity. Hell yeah. I like it. I love that you pulled Othala because Othala is another one of those rooms where like it's very like ingrained in family yeah, and the land that you came from. So that's also one of the ones, one of the first runes that I was like, I like this. Okay, I want to look nice. more into this. And yeah, I feel like that's one I'm working more to embrace. Yes. And the other one is something I've been working on. And family doesn't, I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to mean like family family. It could mean the family you've chosen. Chosen and created yeah, along the way. that's true. So, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Jasmine was like hanging out. Oh, she's still that? hanging out. <laughs> she's Hello. like, I want to be involved in this magic. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to go. I think I'm only going to pull one today. Okay. This is like the part that freaks me out because my perfectionist side is like, you can't pull the wrong one. There's no such thing. I know. I know. But then my, you know, my spiritual what side is like, just say. My heart. It's like a cold dead <laughs> instrument. <laughs> All right. So, Dagas, it's a very sharp infinity sign. So, it's made of triangles instead of circles. Okay. Is that, is that a good, yeah. good explanation? Yeah. All right. So, Dagas. So, associations is day, sunrise, light after darkness, spring, joy, abundance, expansion, protection, growth, and healing. That's fitting today. Yeah. So, the charge. The dawn of a new day is upon you. Welcome it with open arms, without fear, without worry. Allow the good that is all around you to reach you, beckoning you forward. Accept the invitation to step into the space of happiness and celebration unencumbered from your past. All right. History and more. Thought to be a rune that could connect the left and right side of the brain. Interesting. It is said that by drawing dagas across the third eye, one can achieve connection and enlightenment. It is widely thought to be a gift from the gods. The ability to creatively reconcile and become illuminated by the polar aspects of ourselves as humans. This 23rd rune was also seen as a symbol of protection of social gatherings and homes. Degas guarded all occasions of joy, love, and lightheartedness against all forces that thought to disrupt the healing and exuberant heart. I like that. The chakras are going to be solar plex, heart, and third eye. Elements are fire and air. That's fitting. 
<laughs> tarot cards, the Empress, the Sun, and Three of Cups. Nice. That really is about joy and abundance. Uh-huh. And the invocation, eyes turn to the sky. I draw the power of the sun's rays into my belly, heart, and mind. I allow the warmth to clear the cobwebs of struggle, of dismay, and open my arms to accept the promise of this new dying day. All right. I like that. I like that too. Telling you, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter how, how dark it seems, um, there is light around you. I like that. Um, let it let it into you to help heal you. Let it into you. I definitely need that because I'm. <laughs> lots of stuff is happening at work, so, and I'm yeah. trying to make things better, but I'm just like I feel like I'm hitting the wall most days. Well, so. again, that's not your responsibility. No, it's not. But you gotta take care of yourself first. Yeah. But this is like a good. It's a good thing to make better. <laughs> it's yeah, Can but you... it can't all be on you. No, yeah. I mean, I'm a department of one, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of is all me. But um, I will do what I can. Yeah, and yeah, Jasmine, you're very much in the way. So yeah, this is my new room deck that I'm in love That's with. so cool. Yeah. yeah, you sent me um a little bit about it yesterday, and I wanted you to pull for me. Here so me. thank you. You're it was nice. I appreciate it. Yeah, she asked me, she's like, is this a deck you want to share? I was like, this is a deck that definitely feels like it needs to be shared. Yeah, that's the other thing about any kind of um, rune, tarot, or oracle deck. Um, some are private and some are shared. And it's kind of up to the person. Oh, okay. careful, Thor. Thor. <laughs> Sharing your well, kicks with me. Thank you. This episode has been <laughs> long enough. <laughs> yeah, it has. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's all good. And my battery's running Oh, out. no, her battery's running low. <laughs> So, All right, guys. Well, this has been fun. You can find us. Um, <laughs> why am I confused? I'm not sure. You can support us by rating, reviewing, and subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. Be and it listening Spotify. to a hundred times. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Spotify, Apple Podcasts. We're on Google Play. We're on Anchor. Um, tell your friends. Tell, tell your, your family. Friend. Give us a review. Yes. Five stars only. <laughs> yeah, we'll delete them otherwise. Yeah. We can't actually do that. But... We can't do it, guys. Don't worry. <laughs> you can find us at difficult.damsels at gmail.com. We are also on Facebook and Instagram at Difficult Damsels of the Podcast. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Stay difficult. Yeah, stay difficult. <laughs>